Hi, I'm Hayden, and welcome to Skillpoint, the podcast on a mission to level up the recruitment marketing industry. We dig deep into insights, tactics, successes, and failures from leading experts in and outside of the industry. So what are you waiting for? Let's get going. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Skillpoint podcast, the podcast on a mission to level up the recruitment marketing industry. Um, I'm really pleased to finally get Claire. We've had a bit back and forth, haven't we? I feel like I say this with every guest, but we finally finally got together. Um, Claire Stapley, she is a strategic uh, marketing advisor, consultant um, with a background in copywriting. And I think we've got a really interesting uh, episode today um, talking about tone of voice, um, strategy in marketing um, and the shift in marketing and, and a little bit on um, personal brand as well. So I think there's some really valuable insights here. But um, yeah, how are you doing, Claire? Nice to meet you. So. Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. Nice to see you again, albeit virtual. How are you? Yes, all good. So we, ju- we just saw each other, didn't we? What, like the week- Was it last week or the week before you came down and you ran a, a tone of voice strategy session with um, one of our team members sort of helping level them up? Yeah, I think it was nearly three weeks ago now, which has shown me how wow. quickly the time is passing. It's a little bit scary. But yeah, it was nice to finally meet you in person because I've not met that many of my clients over the last couple of years, obviously, because of COVID. So yeah, it was nice to come down, see the offices and also see how your business has grown because it's grown a lot since we uh, first started working together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? Um, and it's and it's hard to get you in person, isn't it, Claire? Because you're like a bit of a globetrotter, aren't you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I guess I am a little bit, but I am always very conscious of calling myself like digital nomad. I think I prefer globetrotter. I'm going to take that now. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So just for anyone who's not aware of you, do you want to give us just a short little background and then we'll just jump into um, some of these topics we've talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So my background um, was predominantly in recruitment. So I started in talent acquisition when I had just finished university so I was recruiting recruiters, which is um, very difficult, very difficult. So unless you've done that job, please don't knock it until you try it. Did that for two and a half years. And then I moved into a pure BD role. So complete 180 from what I was doing. Uh, but my background academically was in journalism, copywriting, marketing. And I saw that there was a big gap in the market in the recruitment industry. Because I still feel like recruitment marketing is in its infancy in a lot of ways. So I started as a copywriter specifically for the recruitment industry, whilst also traveling, freelancing, which has enabled me to be a globetrotter, as you call it. Um, And I'd say over the last couple of years, my offering has changed, not just in terms of copywriting, but I look at things from a more strategic marketing point of view. So not just, um, I guess, how your blogs are performing, how your newsletters are performing, but I guess, from a really high level, how sales and marketing can really be connected and how recruiters can benefit from solid marketing. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And I've worked in the industry now for, I think this is going into my eighth year. So feeling a bit old, but also feeling a lot more experienced than I did when I first walked through the agency doors at 21. Yeah, amazing. Uh, apologies for that random noise. Uh, there was a fire alarm test in my office. Right, <laughs> just no quickly rushed to mute myself. Uh, no, amazing. Okay, cool. Perfect. So I think the first um, sort of topic we really want to talk about, and you kind of, I think you've just touched on it in your intro a little bit there about saying that um, recruitment marketing is still a little bit in its infancy, isn't it? I think it's starting to mature and people starting to get a bit wiser as, as we go, but I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, so in our sort of pre-chat before we um we just we want to discuss the shift in marketing um and how things are changing so um I know you had some initial thoughts on this so do you want to do you want to just sort of kick this one off for us yeah absolutely I think when I first started working in recruitment as a consultant it's not that it wasn't cool to do marketing and recruitment I just think a lot of agencies even now still have the very much old school mindset of you pick up the phone, you do your business development, and it kind of stops at that with a lot of agencies, which I do understand and I don't necessarily disagree with. But, you know, let's go back seven, nearly eight years ago. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that a lot of businesses focused on. So when I worked in talent acquisition, we were also looking after marketing. Whereas if you actually look at the job of someone working in TA and someone working in 
marketing it's two completely different jobs and you need two completely different teams but because we were super limited on budget we kind of just had to work with what we had which meant it was a big learning curve because everything that we did was organic so we ran the socials we ran all of the blogs um we did all of the shots for social media on our iphones like we didn't have anything that was considered professional and sometimes i don't think consultants in that business at the time took us seriously they were like I don't understand why you're doing this why putting this on Instagram and it was only when we started seeing some results from it that people started to perk up and listen it used to be an absolute nightmare trying to get any consultant involved in anything whether that was a picture for Instagram or getting them to help us with market insight for a blog it was um yeah it was like getting blood out of a stone to be completely honest with you then when I moved to another agency just three years later I saw the difference in attitude. And I think that's because I started working in London where there's obviously a lot more competition. Um, and this is when I was working for LaFosse actually. And I remember they had a fully functioning marketing team. They had amazing collateral. They had a proper strategy. And then working in business development, I saw how much that actually helped us as consultants. Whenever you'd go to a client meeting, meeting you had like a rolodex of information that you could take with you people knew who we were when we were calling up so it wasn't completely cold business um and i think it was at that point just in the space of three years seeing how the attitudes have changed and now in a weird way i think the pandemic did the recruitment industry a lot of good because it weeded out those businesses that are refusing to be modern and don't necessarily prioritize marketing and the ones that have risen to the top are the ones that invested from day one um, so yeah, I think that's how it's changed over the last few years, but I still think there is a lot of pushback, um, for me personally, over the past, what, four years of being freelance, I'd say only in the last two years, my business has really started to pick up because people are seeing the true value. And I do think that's a byproduct of COVID weeding out like the old school agencies that are refusing to change. And I think a lot of that pressure also comes from new consultants coming in who are like, why am I joining? And I haven't got LinkedIn recruiter. I haven't got like a simple piece of collateral that I can take to a meeting because the competition's so high. Um, so yeah, that's how I think it's changed over the last few years. Definitely a positive shift, but I think a very slow one um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So my thoughts on this is, yeah, there's a there's a baseline now. I think some people still aren't quite getting it right. They're posting job posts out all the time on LinkedIn or or being a bit self-aggrandizing with, you know, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. And it's it's not always the most interesting stuff. And I think there is the play in sharing out the value and, and being a little bit more personal with this. I think we're now settling, like I said, on a baseline of the digital adoption and recruitment from, you know, we weeded out these people from before that just are just so old school and they're thinking that they're just not succeeding. Um, where do you think the next step is then for the, the companies that still want to stay on the sort of the precipice of um, innovation in terms of marketing in, in this space? Um, I think the next step is for marketing teams and recruitment teams. So the sales team, for example, to work as a unit and to stop seeing marketing as business support, because I think marketing and sales are the exact same thing. Marketing supports sales and sales supports marketing. And I think the main issue that myself and a lot of other marketers and creatives in the recruitment industry are seeing is still that pushback and that resistance from consultants, not necessarily at a really senior level. Um, I think it's a lot easier now to get people at the C-suite engaged. Like if you've got an engaged founder, then it means that all of the leadership team are going to be engaged. So it makes your job a thousand times easier. I think it's penetrating that middle layer of people. So people that are maybe, I don't know, like two to three years into their career, they've got a solid desk and they have that mindset of if it's broken, why are we trying to fix it? Um, so I think that is going to be the next shift and for recruiters to, I think, listen to marketing as well and know that we do know what we're talking about. A lot of us have come from being recruiters, um, and to be a bit more open to that change, because if you look at top billers within, you know, all of the best agencies in London, they've got a pretty good personal brand and they work very closely with marketing. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. So I think that is the next step, but when that happens, on mass i'm not sure yeah i've i've we've spoken about this a few times with a couple other guests and i, I it's if you take sort of insight from the SaaS industry who i always think kind of lead b2b because they just have to be that sort of on the on the next level um 
they're they're very much talking about it doesn't it shouldn't be sales and marketing it should just be like the revenue department so they just work in tandem because as soon as you bring marketing and consultants together the consultants can give the marketing team so much insight on like typical challenges and pain points yeah. and what sort of content they need to produce to sort of resonate and build demand but then also marketing can make things look great they can just help with like the hooks and the copy and um, really cool marketing projects um because the, the, I always think on, especially on LinkedIn or sort of business development, the um, the barrier is so low to entry that if you just provide just a little bit more like bespoke value, whether it's like um, you, you, unique sort of like snippet of a salary survey that's completely unique to that person, um, it's just going to get the attention over just, oh, I see that you're looking for a job. Do you want to you talk to me? Because they probably have 50 of those emails at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, it's so true. And I think it's... Um convincing people that you do have to stand out in your market as well again it's the thing that I said earlier on when you've got someone who is well they don't really want to change things which I do understand because like look the first year or two years of your recruitment um, career it's bloody hard and once you've mastered the basics and you've got a client base then you've got someone from marketing being like I think you should do personal branding or why don't you help us run an event or a blog series it's kind of like mate I've been working 12 hour days for the last two years can I just bask in this commission and enjoy myself a bit before I start doing something else but then I think you can fall into the trap of complacency and then people hit this ceiling where they don't know where to go next or for example we're in a really tough situation in the market a lot of recruiters with brands and networks that aren't that strong because they've not invested in their marketing are now really struggling um and the ones that have been focusing on it since day one like I did an event with a client um when was it last week and you could tell that he'd been working on his marketing up until that point because the turnout was incredible. Um, and he was so open, you know, the suggestions that we made for the follow-ups afterwards, he went and did everything. He's now one business off of the back of it. And it's just like having that mindset um, from day one, it pays dividends in times like this when the market is not that great. And I don't think it's going to change for a good few months now. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to circle back to a point that we just mentioned there about kind of um marketing coming at coming at the consultants i think sometimes as an in-house marketer you can definitely have the issue of like a not annoying but just like you want to try this thing out and you're just yeah. just kind of kind of straight to the point like oh we need to try this out but they're, they're busy with their stuff from your experience what is a strategic way for um a marketer to approach um this kind of thing in terms of convincing uh, the internal team the consultants to sort of adopt a more of a a marketing shift and more marketing mindset um i think there's two parts to it i think the first part is getting senior stakeholders bought in to you it doesn't necessarily have to be to your strategy i think it has to be you as a person you need to be able to hold yourself very well and i guess battle the objections that they're going to throw at you because they're going to ask you 101 questions but ultimately and i say this with the greatest respect a recruiter does not know more about marketing than the marketing team does and i think sometimes marketers forget that because the recruiter challenges them and they're like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't, maybe we shouldn't do this. And it's like, no, you've been put in this job because you're good at marketing. So the whole point is to have that healthy, I guess, conflict resolution and come to an agreement together. So I think the first thing is senior stakeholders um, and definitely getting that buy-in. And I think the second part to that is talking in numbers. So talking in recruitment talk, going to a recruitment team and saying, I've got this glossy campaign. I want to do this, this, and this. And you start talking about all the creative I'm going to call it fluffy stuff um, that doesn't resonate with a recruiter. And to be quite honest with you, they don't care. They want to know what's in it for them. And the only way you can say what's in it for them is talking about what the ROI is going to be. What is the aim of them helping you and what are they going to get out of it and how much time you need of there. So like, for example, let's look at personal branding. If I'm working with a client on their personal brand as part of a wider marketing strategy, we agree up front what the time commitment's going to be. We pre-book everything in the diary. Like you need to treat a recruiter how a rec recruiter treats their clients and candidates. Because you, if you come at it from a fluffy angle and a creative angle, um, nine times out of 10, they are not going to understand it and they're not going to want to listen to you, unfortunately. That's just my experience. But I think generally all salespeople are pretty similar with that. Yeah, fantastic. And I think sometimes uh, marketers can come to the sales team uh, with a whole strategy pre-mapped out where I think um, actually you probably just want to come to them with that little nugget of an idea and then work collaboratively to build on it because then the consultants have more buy-in don't they that they think oh actually do you know what I've, we've been picking up that 
um like the hiring process is abysmal for most of our most of our clients so we're actually let's just talk about that or diversity or culture or something along the lines of that and um, they can give you some real insight and you can work together and then they're so much more bought in aren't they and especially if you then talk about the numbers involved um in terms of capturing um that demand or getting some leads from it yeah. um yeah no i was just gonna say one other thing on that um is I think from a marketer's perspective, we need to understand that recruiters can also be really precious about their clients and candidates. And I completely get that. Why would, like, let's say, for example, you want to run an event, a recruiter is going to be really protective on who they're going to bring to that event because that's ultimately their network that they've spent the last, you know, two, three, four, five, however many years they've been working in the industry building on. So I think marketers sometimes need to remind themselves that recruiters are going to be protective and it's all about building that trust and like you just said making it collaborative no one likes being told what they need to do um people want to make sure that they've got their own input and that they've got some element i guess of power um over something that they're working on if they're going to be bringing in their network and putting their name against something as well yeah absolutely great point um so i think this segues us quite nicely into personal branding um and the power of it i think uh, it's all too plain to see that personal branding is working. The first thing I'd want to touch on is um, the rise of ChatGPT. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of a lot of posts on LinkedIn now and comments as well. It's really easy to see if someone's posted a comment ran through here. For me, that just brings the level of value down and floods it with a lot of crap. I'm sure the algorithm will adjust to sort yeah. of filter this through so do you think there's an even more of a need for people to write um actual uh, engaging posts that you know speak to their audience potentially being a little bit more personal rather than just pure value value sharing yeah absolutely i think we are in a bit of a unique position with chat gpt especially in the recruitment industry because i think if we look at pre-covid and during covid there was, a, I mean, at least from my side, I saw there was a huge influx in recruiters and agencies investing in marketing and investing in personal brand. And you could see that they'd either use a personal branding agency, which is absolutely fine, like you're working with someone to help you build your personal brand, or they were doing it themselves. And that created a really saturated market because everyone was trying to do it. And a lot of people were actually doing it pretty well. Now we're in a position where people have got lazy and I'm not against ChatGPT. I think it can be really, really helpful for marketing teams. Um, I've worked with some AI copy in the past. You can tell that it's written by AI, but I think for complex subject matter um, and also just to get like your creative juices flowing, I think it can be a really great help. Um, but I think the position that ChatGPT puts a lot of agencies in now is, again, that cream will rise to the top. So if you're an agency that's lazy and all you do is use ChatGPT, people will be able to see that. And once you're tarnished with that brush, I think it's really difficult to get out of. Whereas if you're an agency that uses ChatGPT strategically, but still relies on high quality, original, authentic content that is either written by like an internal team or like an external freelancer or an external creative agency, you're going to stand out because you're going to have a unique tone of voice. Whereas ChatGPT, people need to remember it's a robot. So you're going Going to sound like a robot and it's just going to become an echo chamber of everybody sounding the exact same so i think if people want to rely on gpt chat gpt solely that's absolutely fine but there are already things being developed to figure out whether something's being written by ai and i think long term if you don't use it in a smart way it's going to cause a lot more damage to your business than good that's yeah. just my take on it yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I've been playing with GPT-4. I think we just chatted about it a little bit. And it can do some unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah. You can throw data in it. It can sort the data out. It taught me how to build an API integration. Um, there's been some elements where we've able to sort of like pull up strategies a little bit faster by just generating insights and say, look, we'll look at those a little bit more details as a touching point. It's a great tool and it can improve like your workflow and sort of your productivity. But I've played with it extensively with really, really in-depth prompts thrown in and um, fully mapped out posts done by people just to try and match that style. And you might get a little bit of it, but over time it goes, it, it, it reverts back to that same 
AI generated looking, it just doesn't look the same. And I'm unable to reproduce like personal branding level, good content post for LinkedIn on it. And I don't think it should be used for that. I think it should just be used to um, help your workflow really, and just make you a bit more productive. But you know, the time should be spent on crafting, engaging and, and meaningful posts on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. And I think with any tool, if you don't spend time, like you've just said, playing around with it first, there's more chance to make mistakes on it. It's the same with any piece of software um, or any, I guess, like online tool. If you don't spend enough time getting to know it inside out, like, okay, I'm going to look at something like Grammarly, something that I rely on constantly. It could be very easy for me to go on autopilot and just accept everything that Grammarly puts through. But sometimes it still gets it wrong. It's a tool to help me, but it's not a replacement for my own eyes and my own intelligence. And I think sometimes people look at these tools as an all or nothing um, solution, whereas it should be used in conjunction with a marketing team. Like something that I've said to clients before is I think ChatGPT is great if you've got a solo marketer in a smaller agency who is being pulled from pillar to post, they're trying to run campaigns and there might be a day that they sit down and they want to write something and they just need like a spark of information to get them going. That's when you use chat GPT because it can go and do all the facts finding for you. And then all you need to do is cross-reference it, check that it's correct and put it together, which is going to take you half the amount of time, but it's still going to be good quality and you've still got a human working on it. Um, mm. Yeah, that's, that's how I've advised people to use it personally. Absolutely. Just remind me of uh, another use case. So we won't bang on about GPT, but um, we uh, we had a project we was working on with a client and um, I just said, to just speak to me about all the content that you want to include yeah. in it. And he literally ram he went on, didn't ramble on. It was all good stuff for about three, four minutes. So tons of insight. Um, traditionally, we'd, we'd record that on otter.ai and um, and then go through it and rewrite it all. I literally just copy and pasted the whole thing, chucked it in GPT, gave it a few prompts and it like wrote it all out succinctly for me to actually properly read it, put it into a bullet yeah. point forms for me to then go and take it and use it for more stuff and then employ, a, use our internal copywriter, Sophie, to then just dig into that in more detail and actually do the research that it can do. So it can take, you know, it can if, if it's a repetitive task, if it's a laborious task that you know it can probably do, then it, it is a big help. Exactly. I completely agree. Cool. So um, one of the things that I really did want to talk to you about was um, the whole time sort of that I've been in marketing, and I'm sure you've probably seen it, everyone really bangs on about providing value. You've got to give insight, um, give people advice and tips and tricks to sort of up, upgrade them. Um, it's just all, all value, value here, value there. But I think there is definitely a shift towards sharing more personal stories and I think we discussed this didn't we with personal branding that you feel like value is kind of out a little bit more and sort of sharing personal stories um, and being a little bit more candid about you as a person on LinkedIn is definitely the sort of the way forward and what you should focus more of your attention on do you want to elaborate on that a little bit yeah I think again if we go back to pre-COVID and COVID times everyone became a thought leader on LinkedIn everyone had an opinion on everything and there were certain things that I read and I was like, you are probably not qualified to talk about this. And also, I think if you start your personal, OK, let's look at someone like Simon Sinek, who I personally love and I think has got an amazing personal brand. But why do people buy into Simon Sinek? Because we also know a lot about him as a person, not just his thought leadership. So because he shared a lot of things about his personal journey, when then when he then talks about the value add stuff, you almost take it on a bit more because you feel like you've connected with that person. Whereas when I just see people posting thought leadership content, especially within our industry, um, I just feel like they're shouting at their audience. And it's like, you're, you're coming across like, you know, all of this stuff, but we actually don't know anything about you beyond these facts and figures that you're posting. And again, it, I think it presents like a really 2D version of that individual. And ultimately, especially as a recruiter, if you want someone to buy into, they buy into you for your personality because in the nicest way possible, all recruitment companies do the same thing. Just like me as a copywriter, all copywriters do the same thing. We write, um, but you buy into using a specific person or company or product because you like the person that's selling it and you believe that they're the best person to do that job. Um, so I think that's where the personal stuff comes in on personal branding. Um, I noticed this myself anyway. When I first started working on my personal brand as a recruiter, I fell into the trap of just posting about jobs. Then I just started posting about my personal life and not like really deep things that were emotional or 
anything like that. Just things about my day. Um, LinkedIn is a social media platform, professional one, but it's still a social media platform. And my posts that get the most engagement and get me the most inbound business is when I'm talking about my travels or if I talk about something to do with mental health or if I talk about something to do with my family. Whenever I write anything about copywriting tips, it literally gets nothing because they can find that on Google. Um, I think it's it has to be a nice blend of talking about your personal life and then putting the value add content and weaving it in. Um, Because I think that's what people buy into. And I've seen it happen firsthand with myself and also with my clients that I do personal branding for. uh, Because ultimately you then fall into that trap of just shouting at people and telling them what to do. And ultimately you could be the most qualified person in the world. If someone doesn't buy into that, then your readership and your viewership just plummets because of that. So that's my thoughts on that. I know it can be quite controversial because a lot of people like to just do value add content, but I think there's a time and a place for it. And I think you need to build up your personality first before you start telling people what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, people buy from people at the end of the day, don't they? You know, there could be, you, you know, there could be a much um, more experience, potentially the, the work they do is is better, like marketer, for example, but they could just be a complete dick um, and they can come across like that and you just don't want to work with them because they're condescending and they think they're better than you and that yeah. just doesn't make a relationship. So it's 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 a huge part of of working together with people. So, and definitely... It, from my sort of like website building perspective, the about page and the meet the team page is some of the, like the most visited pages on a website. So it just shows you how how um, keen people are to find out about the people that they want to work with. So sharing that kind of thing on LinkedIn really does help, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, we sort of chatted about was um, getting CEOs involved in personal branding. I think um, when you, like you said, if you've got the the upper echelons, the um, senior leadership team really bought in and building that founder brand, it really propels the business to new heights. Um, but sometimes that falls on the marketing department a lot of the time. So um, I know that you work with a few um, CEOs that do a great job on their personal brand and you help them with ghostwriting. Um, what are some common traits that you'll see from a CEO that you know they, they just get personal branding and that you know they'll succeed? I think the first thing is that they fly the flag for marketing and they're heavily, heavily involved. Um, I'd say there's two CEOs that spring to mind. I won't I won't name them, but if they're watching this, they know exactly who they are because uh, it's a conversation that I had with both of them over the last few years. So the first thing is, yeah, they're really engaged with marketing and they care about it and it doesn't matter how big their business is. And these are CEOs of big recruitment companies as well. Um, they love it and they see the value in it. And they're involved in marketing meetings, even though they've got a thousand and one other things to do. And it's not in an overbearing way. It's a, I care about this. Um, So I'd say that is a really common trait. The second thing is that they are willing to dedicate the time. I think a big thing with personal branding and where certain senior leaders or CEOs have fallen short in the past is that they say, okay, Claire, I really want to do this personal branding. Um, And then they aren't prepped for the calls or they cancel the call or they can only talk to me once a month. And it's like, no, we have to meet each other halfway because personal branding, it's not like writing a blog for a recruitment company and it just gets put on the website. This is your personal LinkedIn profile. And I want to make sure that whatever you're putting out, you've had input in, because again, people cotton onto this stuff. People can tell when stuff is written by someone else, um, which is why I think to have a great personal brand, if you are collaborating with a freelancer or an agency on it, Uh, you need to be able to meet each other halfway. So both CEOs that I've worked with, one who I am still working with now, uh, it's very easy for me when I jump on the call because we've got a sheet that we work from with some uh, preliminary questions and he's always prepped. Um, We get the call done in half an hour. He'll then slack me during the week with other ideas that he's got or he'll WhatsApp me with a picture. And yes, it takes a little bit of time for you to get into that flow um but it's it's just that commitment I think that's what it boils down to if, if I could sum it up in one word it's having a CEO who's committed and doesn't expect you to spoon feed them because ultimately you need to be able to have some ideas yourself and I can bring them to life yeah perfect and I think um I don't know if you'd you'd mind sharing but what would be some of those sort of questions that you'd so I think it'd be a nice activity, even if there was someone thinking about their own personal brands, um, some of the things that they should be thinking about in terms of that sort of question crib sheet that you sort of 
get people to do um, in yeah. preparation for a meeting? Um, so it really depends on what the CEO's aims are. So let's say, for example, you're a CEO and you want to hire more recruiters into your business. We would then look at the core content pillars that you want to be known for. But the aim of that is to attract more recruiters into your business. So I personally like to split it into personal posts. So them talking about their life, business posts. So that thought leadership. And then the third thing, um, this is going to sound a bit bizarre, but just like funny stories about their time in the industry, because ultimately most CEOs, they've been in the industry for a pretty long time. If they've got a recruitment company of like more than a couple hundred people, they've probably been in the industry for longer than 10 years and they've seen a lot of change. And I think that brings the human element and the thought leadership element. Because you can still put a key takeaway in there, but you've given a pretty funny story that people can resonate with and people can engage with. Um, So, yeah, I like to split it into those three sections. But the actual questions that go within that will be relative to what the CEO's goals are. And again, I've worked on personal branding projects where the CEO is just like, I just want to talk. I want to make sure that I've got a presence and that my network is growing. Um, which gives us a bit more fluidity. But yeah, I think you need to have a nice mix in there of personal posts. So like family life, work and family life, work-life balance. You've got things in there about mental health. Um, Then you've got the business talk, which is about being a leader, talking about the team, uh, maybe talking about the international offices if you have them. And the third thing is funny stories and anecdotes, because I think they can go down very, very well. Um, especially in our industry where I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you've got some funny stories. I know I've got some, um, but yeah, I think, I think stuff that's just going to resonate with the audience basically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I did, I did an activity like this with, um, with Sophie after we had that, that chat about personal branding and just sitting down and having like an hour long meeting, they ask you some pointy questions um, that you don't really think about, like how do you want to come across and things like that, or asking you know what you want to be famous for it just really gets your mind thinking in a different way and things just do come out when you sort of brainstorm out of it and things that you'd never really thought and you think oh actually uh yeah well that we went through that or oh yeah I do really like that brand let's let's kind of let's talk about them etc that I think it's it's an it's an interesting activity to sit down and do and uncover some gems yeah for sure and I think it's also um with CEOs and what I've always said to CEOs that I work with, it's humanizing them. Like I had it with the one CEO that I do still work with. I had never been to their offices and I went in a couple of months ago and I finally got to meet the CEO in person and see what the office vibe was like. And I said to him, I was like, I've been in so many offices over the past few years and I've never been in a recruitment company's office that is so welcoming, so warm, so like, it was just really, really nice. And I said, you're missing out on a trick here because you are, I said that he's the antichrist of a recruitment CEO. Like if you think about your typical recruitment CEO, I'll leave uh, the audience to have that to their imagination, but we all know what the typical recruitment CEO is like. He's the complete opposite of that. And I said, we can really do something here with your personal brand because you are everything that a recruitment CEO isn't. And I think we need to talk about that more. Um, so I think I think it's stuff like that and really humanizing that CEO um, because otherwise people have this built up image of them in their head. And we have we've really humanized him. Like we post a lot about his family. Um, we post a lot about um, like the senior leadership team and how it's like a really nice family feel. And yeah, there's there's a lot of amazing stuff that's come out from it. And I think also having been in the offices, he's also more inspired off the back of what I've said. So whenever we have these conversations, it's just a really nice flow because sometimes CEOs don't realize what their own USP is until you tell them. And they're like, oh, my God. He said, well, yeah, actually, I never thought of it that way. And then we started talking about a few ideas. And I said to him, why did you not come up with this before? And he said, well, I never looked at it from that angle. I just thought I needed to talk about business and leadership. I was like, no, I was like, that is not your selling point. I was like, this is your selling point. This is why people are going to want to come and work for your business because of how you are like what recruitment CEO out there really sits and spends loads and loads of time with junior people or just walks around the office and has this really nice warm presence. Not that many. And I said, you really need to capitalize on that because that is what is going to set you apart from other agencies in the market. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an inherently English thing, isn't it? Or British thing where, um, yeah, we're just it's so <laughs> awkward about talking about ourselves or just like not, hum, not humble in a way, but it's just like you just don't even realize that you're good at that or you, you do yeah. that well. Yeah, massively. And I think people really cringe 
when it comes to talking about themselves. I hate it, but I also know what sells to my audience. Like the whole digital nomad thing, it honestly drives me up the wall when people say it, but I know that people love it. So I will be posting a picture of a sunset when I'm in a new location because that's part of my brand and I've just accepted it. And I know that that's what works. So I think you need to embrace the cringiness sometimes because that is what humanizes you and that's what makes you relatable and people want to work with you and people want to listen to you when you then start dishing out advice yeah and i think sometimes you just have to realize the reason why you're doing this it is to improve your you know bring in at the end of the day to improve your reputation and bring in leads so if those things work then you just kind of need to get over yourself don't you and really post them out don't you exactly what i say to recruiters i say to them i was like do you like calling gatekeepers and trying to get past them and they always say no I don't like it I said okay well you need to but you still do it because it's your job right and you need to do that to win business and be successful I said this is how you need to see personal branding you don't have to love it no one's asking you to love it but you need to do it so you need to find some kind of passion there and some kind of will to do it just like you do with your business development because I'm yet to meet a recruiter that enjoys getting through gatekeepers on a switchboard um, so they need to shift that mindset towards personal branding and posting on LinkedIn, in my opinion. Yeah, because if you think about it, um, if you become like a, I hate this term, but like a like a mini celebrity or whatever online, then that gatekeeper is going to know exactly who you are. <laughs> that gate's going to be wide open. It makes such a difference, honestly, such a difference. And this all boils back down to like wider company marketing. Like LaFosse, I talk to all of my clients about LaFosse until I'm blue in the face because when I worked in BD, I remember um, a few of my friends, once I left the company, they said, oh, you know, like, did you not find BD really hard? I said, quite honestly, no, because you would call up. I'm not even joking. You'd call up a CEO or a CTO. The moment you said LaFosse, oh, LaFosse, and the, the conversation immediately started flowing because their reputation was that good in the market. And their marketing was that good um, that you could call up and you could quite literally come off of a call having one roles and agreed terms. And I think that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. So do you think time should definitely be focused more on personal branding in a business rather than um, the company profiles? What's your thoughts on you know company LinkedIn profiles? I think it's a mixture of the two because I also get it from a CEO's perspective where there is that reluctance to pour all of that time into individual consultants, personal branding, because if they leave and you've helped them build their personal brand and you've invested all of this money, there is a bit of risk there. Um, So I think it needs to be a double pronged approach. I think the first part of it is getting your internal marketing. So like your actual collateral and your external presence from a company perspective done first. So Have you got the right marketing collateral for all of your consultants when they go to client meetings? Have you got regular blog posting? Is your website up to date? Is everyone LinkedIn's profiles up to date? Are you posting on the company page at least once a day? All of those basics, I think, need to be done first. Then once you've got that established, you can look at rolling out something like personal branding. I would personally recommend doing it one-on-one with senior leaders who you know are bought in and are less likely to leave. For example, if you have a share scheme, whoever's got shares is probably going to stay. So it's probably worth investing that time into them personal branding wise. And then creating, um, I guess, group training sessions for the younger individuals and the juniors that are coming up. Um, I don't think you should take that away from them because then it builds that, uh, I guess, gap that I was talking about earlier on. Um, But yeah, I think it's two things. It's getting everything right with your company and then looking at working with individuals one-on-one and rolling out group training so everyone's bought in. Yeah, nice. And I think this this will segue. I love, I love that term, segue, because I feel like we have done that quite nicely with um, with the next topic. So so for some of the sort of the, the lower, um, you know, junior consultants within a business, um, and you might not want to invest loads of time, but then there's always the possibility of building processes, crib sheets, um, systems and stuff to sort of train them and give them all the resources they need to sort of get the right tone of voice um, as well as kind of understanding of the business and what they should talk about do you think that's always a good idea and have you seen it like implemented well in businesses yeah I think um, in terms of making something like that successful I think you need to introduce it really slowly again like I said before when you're in your first like year or 18 months of recruitment do I think you should be investing an equal amount of time into your personal brand? Probably not because you're also trying to build your desk. 
But I think there can be small things that a business can do. For example, rolling out that training once they leave. Like a lot of recruitment companies have academies, right, where they train you up. And then once you move from like an associate consultant to a consultant, you've graduated and you can, you know, function on your own without needing too much help. I think once they get to that consultant level, so maybe like three to six months in, that's when you can start doing, I guess, very light training on this is how you can elevate your posts beyond just writing about a job and making it a more gradual thing rather than hitting them with a whole personal branding crib sheet when they're three or four months in. Because in reality, the average recruiter is not going to be able to manage that alongside doing all of their business development and building a successful desk. So I think it really needs to be a gradual thing. And I think it needs to be woven into like, for example, when I look back at my career, when I first started, we had a whole thing on leadership training, but leadership training was an ongoing thing. It wasn't like you just went in, you had your three hours of the day. This is how you be a manager and then you leave. It was ongoing. And I think that same energy for leadership training needs to be applied to marketing and personal brand. It's not just something that you run a quick session on, you give someone a sheet and you hope that they can fend for themselves. It needs to be a gradual thing and a regular thing that businesses invest into. And I guess something that businesses could integrate into people's personal development plans, almost to the point where you need to, to get to the next step and to get that next promotion, you need to have done X, Y, and Z towards your personal brand. So making it part of, I guess, the company's infrastructure, I think mm. that is the best way to do it rather than bombarding someone with all of this additional stuff that they need to do. Um, Cause it takes time. And also I think with personal brand, like you're continuously learning, it's not something that you complete. Like I've been looking after my personal brand now for like seven years and there's still things that I make mistakes on. And I do it as a job. So, yeah, I think it needs to be a gradual thing and an ongoing thing. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so this will be my last question on personal brand before we move on to tone of voice. And I've got a little, uh, little th- throwing question as well, just to, okay. for, for my for my <laughs> for my sake. And <laughs> um, so the, the last question on personal brand is uh, how do how do you see companies doing well in terms of proving ROI on, on what they're doing? Uh, okay this links back to the systems that you're using so I've worked with clients in the early stages of my own freelancing career where I'd produce content for them or we'd work on personal branding stuff and I'd ask like their internal marketer I'd be like okay so what's the ROI on this and they'd be like I don't know like oh okay why because they've not got a system to measure it and you don't need to invest thousands and thousands of pounds I love HubSpot this is a plug for HubSpot right now but I know that HubSpot is very expensive but it's also a tool where you can track absolutely everything so for example with one of my personal branding clients we can see how many people have requested to connect with him how many how much traffic he's driven to the website comments likes you've got everything there and it enables marketing to build a use case for future projects and again i think that's where there's a disconnect with recruitment teams and marketing teams because they don't have the right tools to measure how things are performing um especially for personal branding so hubspot is the main one that i would recommend people to use off the top of my head i can't remember the free ones that you've got but even if you just google like marketing um crms i guess marketing crms there's loads of things that can come up and it doesn't need to be you know 10 or 11 different data points it just has to be a few that you've got that you can draw on and equally if you're a business that's in startup mode but you want to invest in personal brand you can look at the stats that linkedin provides you with that is a great starting point. Um, but yeah, I think it all boils down to having the right tech for this because there's only so much you can do just kind of guessing how things have performed. You need to have something there to measure it. Otherwise, it just makes it so much harder in the long run. And it makes it harder for you to get more budget from your recruitment CEO if you can't show them what your campaigns are actually producing. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to like a bit of a dirtier, dirty, um, more not complex but sort of free version you can set up utm tracking links so each consultant could have their own sort of two to three links and uh, trackable links that they use and then you can prove going through google analytics that they've come through that way another thing that we've seen work quite well i should got a post about it going out tomorrow is um self-reported attribution so it's just a field in um and i think it works really well if you've got calendly or like hubspot sign on like um meeting book or something like that um and it just says how did you hear about us so a lot of the time, the attribution on on analytics will just say, oh, they've come from Google or they've come direct. 
with this, you can start to find out like, oh, my podcast worked or those posts I put out or I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite a while. It's a really handy thing to have. So let's just move on to Tone of Voice quickly um, because you you delivered a fantastic um, sort of training session with with Sophie on this. So I just want to, and I think it's it's a really important thing to have in a business um, whenever we sort of sign up a new marketing uh, client is something we always look at try and get some get the copy work in the word in the understanding of how they want to come across so for you what does a great tone of voice strategy slash implementation look like for a business what a big question um okay i'm going to look at this from a website point of view rather than like individual tone of voice because if you want to get really granular right you could do a tone of voice for your website you could do a tone of voice for your social media platforms. Again, this all boils back down to what I was saying earlier on about what your goal is as a business. So again, if your goal is to hire more recruiters, your tone of voice um, on your social media channels is going to be very different to if you're trying to use your social media platforms to attract clients. I think a really good tone of voice strategy. So I think the first thing you need to do is make sure you've got the right people on that strategy call. Um, and not having too many people so we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago didn't we I think to kick that off you need to have no more than two to three people who know the business inside out and can communicate really really clearly what the business needs are because again I've done tone of voice projects where you've got like five people on the call and it's like we're it's too many cooks spoil the broth and if you've got that to start off with it dilutes the messaging all the way through to how your consultants are communicating Um, I think the second thing is identifying like what you want to be known for um, and really drilling down into that. What what are your values? Um, What initiatives do you run? Why do people want to work with you? Uh, So I think it's more than just knowing what your tone of voice is, but also what you want to be known for. Um, And then the final thing, I think it's the execution and making sure that you've got the right, again, internal collateral to feed that back to everyone else in the business. Because if you've got, again, senior level engagement, you've got an amazing website with an amazing tone of voice. And then you look at the way that consultants are communicating or the way that your marketing team is writing blogs and there's a disconnect, then there's no point in doing the tone of voice exercise to begin with. So it's having the right people there. It's knowing what your value proposition is and it's the implementation afterwards on a wider scale. And I'm looking at this from like a really big recruitment business. I think the smaller your business, the easier it can be. Um, and the bigger your business, I think the more granular you need to be and you need to be a bit more patient with rolling out that tone of voice and yeah, making sure that everyone is held accountable to that as well. Yeah, great. I think it's just, it's the tone of voice is executing on all the pre-work that you've done in terms of market research and your your strategy. So once yeah. you've sat down and you've figured out purpose, vision, mission, value proposition, done your market research, figured out pain points, market analysis, all that, all that pre-work, and then you distill that all that down into great copy, great tone of voice that completely resonates with your audience, then you're onto a winner, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And there's another thing that I always say to clients, because I just work with clients in the recruitment industry, and I say to them, like, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Like, at the end of the day, you are probably going to sound really similar to other recruitment agencies out there. And that's okay. Like, that's not the end of the world. You don't want to create a tone of voice to the point where someone lands on your website and they don't know that you're a recruitment company. That's when you've gone the complete opposite way. Um, So there needs to be an element of acceptance there that, you know, the amount of times that I've heard recruiters say, we do things differently. We provide a bespoke service. We are specialist consultants. Like We are the most specialist. I'm like, every single agency says that. And that's fine. But we also need to look at, again, it all boils down to the personality. What makes your people different? Why are people going to buy from you? Because recruitment is recruitment. Search is search wherever you go. It's the people and the culture and the vision and the values that is going to make you different. And that's what we need to translate in your tone of voice. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Great. Um, So then the the last sort of thing I really want to um, talk to you about is um, you've mentioned a few times throughout the podcast is collateral. So straight to my mind is like sales decks things like that right yeah so have you have you helped um recruitment agencies with um building these out sort of like the 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 rough copy the sort of the content map and things like that 
Yeah, absolutely. So again, depends on the business size and what they need and what they've already got as well. Um, I always say to clients, if you've already got some marketing collateral there, let's not scrap all of it. Let's see what we can improve first rather than just throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. But in terms of what I tend to work on, it's the sales decks like you've mentioned. I think also um, like individual, I don't want to call them brochures. Let's call them brochures. Brochures that teams can take to client meetings. So let's say you work in DevOps. The DevOps team has one just for them. The cyber team has one just for them. We've got case studies. We've got testimonials. We've got stuff in there for clients and candidates. We've got salary surveys, but not just stuff that you pulled off of like EY or McKinsey, actual salary surveys that you've conducted within your networks, um, information for the talent acquisition team. I'm always trying to convince recruitment CEOs and marketing teams to stop seeing TA as the enemy and actually providing them with amazing content. Um, and that could be newsletters, that could be white papers, that could be downloadables. Um, so yeah, collateral for me encompasses all of that. And it's not just focusing on the client and the candidate, it's stuff for HR and talent acquisition as well. Because as we all know, if you can get in with HR and TA, your life is going to be so much easier. And I think once people start seeing that and creating marketing collateral for those individuals, because they always feel left out, um, again, that's going to be a differentiator. So yeah, really depends on the business size, but I try and advise clients to make their marketing collateral helpful for sales, but also helpful for, yeah, HR and TA, because they're your, they're your kryptonite to getting lots of business. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, and in terms of the, the, you know, the big pitch deck, so I, I feel like I spend my life making, designing pitch decks for clients <laughs> now. And, and I think I've come up with a good content structure i'll probably do a, a bonus level episode on on what a good deck looks like but from 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 your perspective um what what does a what does a great deck structure looks like what, what some of the things that you always think about yeah we always we need to talk about this or we need to include this within the deck just so it convinces and it and it pitches to win okay i think the number one thing that you need in a good deck is solid case studies and i'm not talking like we, we worked with, okay, let me think of a company here. We worked with Facebook and we placed 10 engineers. That's not a case study. What was the problem? What was the big problem that Facebook was having? What did you guys propose? What was the, what was the solution? Why did you propose it? Who were the key people in executing on this project? What was your interview to placement ratio? This is where, again, marketing and sales can be really synonymous and marketing can really help you to elevate these case studies because we can wordsmith it, but you need to give us the numbers. So I think, yeah, the number one thing in a, in a pitch deck or a sales deck is solid case studies. And if you can get some quotes from the big dogs at Facebook that you've worked on this project with, it's just going to help you so much when you go to a client meeting, because if you're going to a direct competitor and you've got a case study from one of their companies that you worked with last year, they can be like, oh my God, they did a really good job. And you've got tangible evidence in there. So yeah, that's the number one thing I personally think. Solid case studies and testimonials that are up to date, well thought out and tell a story that's going to be engaging. Oh, don't get me started with case studies. It's, it's probably the, the secret source, I think. It is. So many people miss it out on their websites. They've just got a couple of testimonials or and they think that's enough. And I'm always pushing, no, you need, you need really thought out case studies. Um, one thing that we just used GPT-4, actually, I don't, I don't know if 3.5 would do it, but GPT-4 was great. So for a client, we they had a bunch of case studies and we literally copied the whole case study structure, stuck it in and said, like, come up with 20 sort of title, like hook title ideas. I always think of GPT-4, it's like um, that whole analogy of like monkeys with a typewriter, like yeah. <laughs> eventually one of them, you're going to read it and think, fuck me, that's really good. That really hits yeah. home. So, so I think, and I think, you know, it can be really good for that. And you can come up with some really good hooks or sort of titles or just explanations of all that content you've got um, to use that kind of thing. But yeah, great. Okay, cool. Case studies. Love that. So I think um, that's uh, everything. We've sort of gone through a bunch of value there. We've got a lot of insights. Um, thank you so much for all that content. The only thing I finish off now is a little bit of a quick fire question round. I don't know if you saw these questions in the shade. I did. I, did. I don't yeah. know. The answers. Let's let's give it a go. I always get stressed when it's quick fire, but I'll try. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite pizza topping? Oh my god. Okay, this is gonna sound really rogue, but I really like artichoke on pizza. 
I think I think someone someone said that. Like, oh, good, because you know, I don't want people thinking I'm weird. I don't eat meat. I mean, look, okay, if I wasn't vegetarian, sure it's so, but <laughs> that makes me a really bad vegetarian. But I'd say artichoke, definitely. Interesting. I've never had an artichoke on a pizza. <laughs> Is it worth going? Okay, perfect. And then, what's your uh, best productivity technique? You know, how do how do you stay productive? Okay, I listen to, I literally get distracted. You would be shocked at the amount of tabs that I've got open. I have about 40 tabs open at any one time. But I think the only thing that enables me to do deep work is I have these headphones and I put on lo-fi beats on Spotify. Again, a bit rogue, but that's the only thing that can help me focus because I I get distracted really, really quickly. But that is my ultimate productivity thing, finding a really good playlist that is almost like white noise in the background turn off your slack I turn off everything and then I just sit and I focus and I try not to switch between too many tabs um but I still do yeah I, I use lo-fi as well sometimes I um put like a rain noise uh yeah. thing on as well as a little bit of background noise it's just so if you've got stuff with too much lyrics in it it just really just distracts you doesn't it and I think it just doesn't quite work yeah so what's your favorite podcast you like to listen to if you do favorite podcast okay I've got two. I've got two. The first one is, look, I love the Recruitment Mentors podcast. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I will be a plug for Hisham until the day that I die. I'm always learning so much on that podcast and I absolutely love it. Been a stand since day one. And the second thing, I also really like listening to Anything Goes by Emma Chamberlain. She's like a famous YouTuber, um, but I just like it because she just talks about, I don't want to say pointless stuff, but she just talks about life and I find it really easy to listen to. I used to listen to a diary of a CEO a lot, but sometimes I find that a bit heavy to listen to on like a normal day. So I just like to plug in and just listen to something that doesn't require too much brain power to digest. So I'd say, yeah, those those two for sure. Yeah, I like that. I'm 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 one of those people that just listens to loads of business podcasts, and then sometimes you just think like, just you, you zone out, and you're like, I'm my sure they probably just said something really good there, and I'm just yeah, yeah my brain can't compute it. It's too yeah. much. Um, what company do you think marketing does the best? Does it have to be in recruitment? No, no, in any any sector. Okay, Uber Eats. I think Uber Eats marketing, I don't know if you saw, I think it, they were just had it up in London. So this was a few weeks ago and it was that good that it actually stuck with me. And I told some of my clients, I was like, that is good marketing. So I was walking through Old Street and it was the adverts on the bus stop and it was advertising Uber Eats, but they did a whole Ramadan campaign and it had the exact time when I believe it's called Iftar Starts. And they'd put the time on there and it's, it's like order, order your food for Iftar. I think they had like a little discount code on there. And I was like, how lovely and how inclusive and how clever. All it was, was the time that Iftar was the, the advertisement for Uber Eats um, and whatever, like if there was a discount code on there. And I thought that was really, really clever. And I think Uber Eats and Deliveroo as well. I think they've got really good, solid marketing campaigns because they're very inclusive and they're simple and they stick with you. So, yeah, I'd say uber eats for sure yeah i love that um it's just understanding you know the timeliness and sort of the audience that you're trying to get across to and just making it super specific and it just works to a to, to a, yeah that's a great campaign i've yeah. i've seen that as well uh, and the last question um i mean you're probably going to give me about a list of 20 places <laughs> all around <laughs> the world digital nomad um if you could live anywhere else uh where would it be in the world I can live anywhere else in the world where we you don't really live anywhere do you you're just out of the I don't live anywhere <laughs> well I am moving to Australia in July which I'm very excited about Sydney but if I had to pick anywhere um, I would say I'd love to live in Brazil or India but the problem is is that it's not very safe either of those countries especially India but I obviously have lived in, I lived in Bali for like nearly a year and I've spent a lot of my, I guess, 20s in Asia. So I love Asia in general. And I know that's a bloody massive continent, but I'd say, yeah, India or Brazil, because just the way of life looks lovely. And I'm desperate to go to Carnival, to be honest. How about right. you? Where would you live if you could live anywhere in the world? Uh, do you know what? I keep going back and forth for this. I, I, I'm torn between um, the Netherlands or Canada, and I'm always on the brink of saying, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. You, could, you know what? The Netherlands, that, that's also, I love that place. Yeah. I love the Netherlands. Yeah. It's beautiful. And Dutch people are, I think they're my favourite. They're just great. 
Um, I'm, um, I'm going to Denmark later on in this year, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what it's like because I've heard it's really nice there as well. And I feel like it seems like one of the best places to live in the world, doesn't it? They yeah, <laughs> sort of tout that. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's a bit cold, but I mean... I, I don't mind that. I love the cold. Right. Well, look, if you like the cold, then it's great. But yeah, I went to Copenhagen a few years ago and it snowed, but it was like a blue sky and it was crisp and it was lovely and it's so clean and Danish people are really not, you'll have a great time. I loved it. It's expensive, but it's worth it because it's so clean and lovely there. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, so last, last question, if you've got a, have you got any advice for any, um, marketer, copywriter, recruiter, sort of entering industry, um, you know, starting their first year in, in this, in this wild, wild place? God, the wild world of the recruitment industry. Um, some advice is I think you just need to be patient. Um, it can be very frustrating working in recruitment marketing. Um, even for me, who used to be a consultant, and I've seen like the other side and how stressful it is for consultants. But I think you need to be patient. You're going to get a lot of pushback, you're going to have a lot of disappointment. However, I think if you can work through that and build some really great internal relationships, when you've got a harmonious recruitment marketing team and a bought in sales team, it is quite literally cloud nine and it's the best thing in the world. But I think you just need to be patient and try and see everyone's point of views because we're all trying to work towards the same goal, but it is still very much so in its infancy. But I think if you get into recruitment marketing now, you will be invaluable in the long term because there's not that many recruitment marketers out there um we're, we're a very rare breed and if you can invest into that now um you'll have a pretty good career and I think you'll be paid also very very well if you can I guess stick at it and deal with the crap that sometimes comes with it um yeah that's what my advice would be patience is a virtue so please try and have some great advice Claire great advice so thank you so much for your time um yeah really appreciate you coming on to the podcast Thank you for having me. Loved it.